pack of scary, indestructible alpha dogs. My name is Matthew Kroll. And you're Ricks, you're King, you're Duke, and you're Boss. And I'm Shahir Dow. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Isle of Dogs. Isle of Dogos. Also, if you just pronounce it fast, it's Isle of Dogs. I love dogs. I love dogs. Was that a movie? I... It is. We're going to talk about no, no, it. No, there was. What was the movie with Paul Rudd and dogs and must love dogs? Must love dogs. That's a different film. Can we do that movie? Sure. I love. Dogs. You want to do it instead? Let's ask our guests if they'd rather do that instead. Ladies and gentlemen, we have with us in the studio the wonderful New York-based television and film animator, Mr. Patrick Hosmer. Hello. How, How are Hos- you, buddy? For Hos or Hosmer? Good. Hosmer. Yeah. Hos. Hos. Either way. Patrick yeah. P. Dog. P dog, yeah. <laughs> I take, I take it all. Uh, would you rather review? It's up to you. Would you rather review uh, Wes Anderson's Isle of Dogs or the Paul Rudd vehicle? Yeah, I think it was uh, a Paul Rudd vehicle. John Cusack. Let's go. It's John Cusack. Oh, there there we go. Let's See? Set the record straight. Here. So I guess, uh, real quick, review that movie. I would do that movie. Yeah, would okay. do that movie. If we could take a couple hours and watch it real quick. Yeah, let's, yeah. let's just change the format. <laughs> um, Welcome to the podcast. Excited to have you on. You and I have both worked with you a couple of times in the past. Uh, probably, I think. Most most recognizably on the Guy Code franchise, which I think you were the mastermind behind the entire look and feel of MTV's Art Guy director. Code. Right? Yeah. 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 Sure. You'll take credit for it. I'll take it. Yeah, you'll take it. All right. Um, quick question. We, we just did an episode on Desert Island movies. Just mm. to kind of get us like in the ballpark here, mm-hmm. what do you think on the spot, hot seat right now, would be your Desert Island movie? And is it Must Love Dogs? Muscle Dogs would be number two. Right. Probably <laughs> number three. Uh, let me think. Um, Disney's Robin Hood. No. Really? Scratch it. Ooh. Okay. Okay. Take it Take it back. Mystery Alaska. Another dog movie? Oh, is that to be a dog movie? No, no it doesn't have to be a dog movie. No. It's, 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 it's a hockey movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Sorry. I'm thinking of the, uh, the, the Iditarod film. <laughs> I'm all over the map here. John Cusack is Paul Rudd. Dogs are in Alaska. I don't Living know. together. <laughs> mass hysteria. Mystery Alaska would be your film? I, I love Mystery Alaska. Right. I could watch it over and over again. Oh, is it better than The Mighty Ducks? I don't think so because it's not a good movie. Like <laughs> Mystery Alaska is a bad movie, but I, I, it's so fun to watch. I think that was a kind of a thing that happened in our, in that episode where we kind of got into a, a situation where we were talking about do our Desert Island movies have to be good or do they kind of have to be guilty pleasure movies? Or Absolutely, they don't have to be good. They don't have to be good. They're it probably has, better if they're bad. Right. Yeah, it has to be something that you um, derive pleasure from. Yeah, but it, it, you know, I. I they could be good, I yeah. you know, but they don't. They don't have to be the 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 universal. I'm using air quotes. Good, yeah. Isn't that the beauty of a desert island hypothetical? Though it's like free of context. Free of context. It's all about pleasure. Yeah, and you well, don't have to justify it to anybody. You can't say this is a good film to a palm tree. It's like <laughs> yeah. you're just like yeah. Yeah. Good film doesn't matter. I would take that. I go. would take that. Well, if you'd like to write in us to tell us your Desert Island movies, it's kind of been a theme. We're going to read some later on in the show along with our other emails. You can email us at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or get in touch with us on Twitter at onlymoviepod. Uh, you can also leave us reviews, good old reviews. Remember those? Those are those are the best. <laughs> uh, at iTunes, uh, please give us five stars if you can spare them. We know stars are hard to come by these days. Also, you can check out our Facebook page if you have not jumped off that particular ship um 
Yeah, Isle of Dogs, boys. This is our dogs. second Wes Anderson film on the podcast. We went back and did uh, the Life Aquatic as a as a request. A few was it was it last year we did that? I can't even remember. It's a t- time is going by so fast now. Um, and so I think just as a quick recap, um, I I'm a big Wes Anderson fan. You can go back and listen to that episode to see what I think about Wes Anderson. I'm a you know a, a lifelong Wes Anderson fan. Saw uh, Rushmore at a really formative time in my life. Yeah. Kind of, you know, it made a really deep impression Same. to the point where uh, last week he was actually in New York uh, presenting a movie, um, which I went along this to movie? see. Uh, no, he, uh, well, he was, but he was also pre- introducing uh, Akira Kurosawa's Stray Dogs um, at the Metrograph in New York, which is a fantastic theater, by the way. That's very meta. Um, I'm going there tomorrow. Are you? We're seeing there tomorrow. Peter Pan, I think. Which Peter Pan are you seeing? There's so many. The the original Disney one. Oh, really? The cartoon? The cartoon, yeah. Oh, yeah. cool. Which cool. is another one of my Desert Island movies. There you go. Well, I, I'm Haas. I'm I'm curious what you think uh, because we know. And Matt, where were you on Wes Anderson? Um, uh, I'm I'm I like him. <laughs> At least I thought I did. Oh, we've, we've talked about this. Whoa. We'll get into it a little Whoa. bit. I don't. Let's do this. I don't not like him. Okay. Uh, and I and I've really enjoyed Royal Tenenbaums is my jam. Okay. Uh, but I'm also terrified to rewatch Royal Tenenbaums because I, I actually I, just watched it two nights ago. I, I know wa- what you mean though. I want it to still be my jam. It's good. It's uh, very good. Uh, good. Yeah. That's good enough for me. Um, yeah. I I um I I can't say. I can't say a bad thing about him or his style. I can only say that it is increasingly, and I'll talk about this a little more, uh, less effective on me as time goes on. Okay. How about you? That's fair. Uh, I also love Wes Anderson films, (laughs) movies. Uh, I like him a lot. Rushmore changed me in a big way when I saw it as well. We're probably all the same age. Um, I don't love all of his movies. Yeah. Uh, but I do love things about all of his movies. Right. And I probably like most of his movies. Would you, are you kind of in the situation where you would go to see every one of his movies if it comes out? I like think so. Yeah. Yeah. Just by brand, brand name alone, the Wes Anderson brand, you would go yes. check out what yes. that is. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just, just to kind of like, uh, acclimatize us and see where we're at on the Wes Anderson train because the, the Wes Anderson train kind of derails quite a lot as it turns out. And I, I is can, that due to the Darjeeling limited or yeah, whatever? It actually was, it was, yes. I, think, I think it was around the Darjeeling limited that people started getting, uh, I think the term, you know, um, uh, hipster and twee kind of get tossed around a little bit with Wes Anderson. And I, and I, I was sort of surprised by how much people started resenting his very specific style of filmmaking. And it, it, it started happening around the Darjeeling. Um, I have a theory. Okay. And it might be why I am, wait, what, what do you got? No, I have a theory too, but I, oh, I'm- Oh, okay. Uh, do you want to do your theory first? No, you go first. Okay. This uh, is the Wes Anderson theory podcast. My, my theory is- Twofold. The minor part of it is that so Wes Anderson has had the same style for so long that everyone sort of knows it. And now it's become not so much quirky, but almost like an institution. And by that, I mean, he does it and he still does it the best. But there's still other films and other filmmakers that throughout his tenure as a director and as sort of a force in this industry are sort of seeping bits and pieces of it off of it and putting it into their own work. Like it's almost like he's the source of a power. Let's just use that analogy. And other people are tapping it and using it a little bit here and there, not going full Anderson. 
Uh, no one can go full Anderson, but Wes Anderson. Maybe Paul Thomas Anderson. Maybe Paul Thomas Anderson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's or a Louis Anderson. Anderson. Louis yeah, Anderson. Anderson. Uh, or D- Paul W.S. Anderson. Or Mr. Anderson. Yeah. Pamela Anderson. Pamela Okay, Anderson. a lot of people can go full. Like, five, <laughs> ten people can go full Anderson. But, um, so I think there's a little bit of Anderson that. Anderson Cooper. So, sorry. <laughs> that, was, that, was so that was such a dumb jump in. <laughs> I'm really happy you said it, though. <laughs> um, so I think there's that. Um, but the other thing too, <laughs> I don't know why that was so funny. So dumb. Um, the other thing too is I think I'm experiencing what uh, my fellow um, film goers experience when they say they are now starting to have superhero fatigue. Mm-hmm. I feel like I am having Wes Anderson fatigue because while this film, Isle of Dogs, and we'll get into it, is super interesting on a bunch of levels, the pacing and the way the story is told is the exact same way since Rushmore. Like the style and the cadence and every, not, and again, not, not styles and uh, artistic style. I'm just talking about like the pace at the way the story is told. There's been reports, weirdly enough, that a lot of people in this movie, not because they don't like it, but because it's just so kind of soothing, have been falling asleep. And they've been getting mad at themselves because they've been falling asleep. (laughs) I've had two friends actually tell me that, and they're like, what the hell? (laughs) Um, So I think I'm experiencing at least the closest thing when people are like, oh, I'm so sick of superheroes. I'm like, I'm kind of sick of Wes Anderson. Like, even though it's doing neat stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, that's me. What's your theory? Oh, my theory is uh, the reason that Darjeeling Limited derailed the uh, <laughs> derailed the the sort of Wes Anderson momentum is because after seeing Isle of Dogs I was thinking that like Artifice is kind of like his yeah it, that he traffics in sort of uh, design fantastical yes. magical things right yeah and when you think about the settings of all of his movies they're all non-real places right it's like the Tenenbaum house was on like 400 and whatever street or you know, Three, some, 327th. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Um, I just, I literally just watched it a couple of nights ago. <laughs> Moonrise kingdom. Yeah. It's on a made up Island. Yeah. It's like, I think maybe probably one of its successful, most successful movies is, um, grand Budapest. Yeah. Made mm-hmm. up country yeah. and a made up culture. Right. Yeah. And I think when he made Darjeeling limited, he probably really wanted to make a made up India. Yeah. But he knew that he would be immediately get called racist for making up, in Indian country. Right. So he had to make it real and it completely fell flat. Hmm. Interesting. And I think, I think Isle of Dogs has a little bit of that problem too. Yeah. yeah I think yeah. we're going we're gonna to get to the elephant in the room uh, when it comes to Isle of Dogs in a second. It's Anderson Cooper. Yeah, Anderson <laughs> Cooper is sitting in the room <laughs> going full Anderson for some reason. Um, but, but, but I, you know, to me, the thing, the thing you point to is uh, the artifice. And I think the thing there is that uh, his early films, Bottle Rocket, Rushmore, Tannenbaums and even life. I, I think life aquatic is the point at which uh, aesthetic and design became foregrounded over narrative. And what's happened uh, for me uh, in recent years is I found that his narratives have become un almost unnecessarily complex. I think they've become complex because his design has become much more refined and complex and narrative follows design for him. Um, but, but there is this thing where like, you know, Rushmore is a, is a pretty humanist film. It's pretty, it's pretty linear. It's pretty straightforward. Uh, Tannenbaum's is as well, but around life aquatic is when you start seeing like direct to camera narration and, and narratives that jump backwards and forwards mm-hmm, in time, mm-hmm. flashbacks that kind of, you know, intermittently pop up to give us little pieces of information as we go forward. You know, you start seeing that a lot more now. Um, that's it. You know, like I, um, 
I'm still on board the train, so to speak. Uh, I, I think, and, and, and the reason I came, I, I'm fully on board the train is Fantastic Mr. Fox. I think Fantastic Mr. Fox is, is not only uh, one of the best films he's made, it's, 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 a, late, it's a later film as well. Um, to the point, I, I, it's actually the first film my son watched. Um, you know, like we, we sat down to watch that movie. Um, so What's the I'll, second film he's watched? 2001 a space odyssey yeah. <laughs> because Dork. i'm that guy yeah <laughs> he loves the the shot of the monkey throwing the bone up into the air and becoming space he goes and he th- he seems to think that if he throws a bone into the air it'll become it'll become a space well, because anyway. it's the second moving image he's seen on a screen yeah and he's like this is what it is so i'm i'm totally on board matt tell us what isle of dogs is about isle of dogs as imdb puts it is a film that goes like this <laughs> Set in Japan, Isle of Dogs follows a boy's odyssey in search of his lost dog. Great. That, yep. Cool. Accurate. That's not that's not, not true. Yep. A uh, uh, little bit more information. Tell us a little bit about Megasaki, the 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 dog exile, the the trash island. There's a there's a, there's a lot, there's a lot to, to there's a lot to unpack yeah. here, right? Um but this this film uh first and foremost, I mean let's get to do we just want to get into I want to hear Patrick's first thoughts. That's right. You're on the spot. Um, no, okay. no dog pun intended. Yeah. On the spot spots. Uh, I liked Isle of Dogs. Mm-hmm. I thought it was good. Um, I ha- had some issues with it. Mm-hmm. I think I think at its worst, it's kind of culturally insensitive. Mm-hmm. I think at its very best, it's a little lazy, actually, in okay. the way in its treatment of the sort of like the Japanese setting. Right. right. And culture. I think th- those two things seem the, to be the same thing, culturally insensitive and lazy about the, the setting, right? Probably, yeah. Right. I mean, well, cultural ins- insensitivity is like if you're either if you're actively against the culture, that's racist. If you're if you're passively, meaning you don't think it's a big deal and being insensitive, I would call that lazy. Yeah. I, either way, it's not something that I would think breaks the movie or anything. But mm-hmm. it, for me, and you know, full disclosure, half Japanese, mm-hmm. uh, it kind you know there were points that made it sort of hard to just enjoy and like turn my brain off because yeah. there were things that pop up where I was just like Ooh. as a, as a narrative experience just just following the story of Atari trying to find his dog mm-hmm. and you know like the story of the trash island thing did you find it compelling did you find it yeah engaging yeah very much so in 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 all the ways that we sort of we've we've come to sort of depend on a Wes Anderson movie to do I mean I was very like you know. It was very fun to sort of like go on that journey. Right. So like as far as like a boy looking for his dog and like lots of fun, you know, there's a little airplane, mm-hmm. little boats and, you know, all that stuff. Loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. She here? I, uh, I I think I'm actually kind of in a similar position here, which is that for me, it's not top tier Anderson. You know, it's not. <laughs> he's it's, not going full. He's not going full Anderson. Yeah, he's going half Anderson on this one. No, I, I, I did enjoy the film. I did. You know, I, I do take delight in the aesthetic pleasures of a Wes Anderson film. I love the sort of sense of design. And I and I agree. I can see how the, the it can be fatiguing because there's such a, a same sameness to it. But I find that same sameness a little bit comforting. You know, I, I find that 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 sort of that um, and and I guess the the reason why I can sort of reconcile that same sameness as being okay is that Wes Anderson is the only person that does Wes Anderson movies. You know, no, I don't think any other filmmaker. I, you know, I've seen filmmakers that have sort of incorporated some elements of a Wes Anderson style mm-hmm. into their film, but nobody does Wes Anderson like Wes Anderson does. And and there was a period of my life, I think, before Fantastic Mr. Fox, where I was kind of like. 
oh, I wish, I wonder what a Wes Anderson horror movie would feel like. Or I wonder what, you know, like, if he really broke out of this style, what would that what would that be? Sure. But I think, you know, like how many, we're, we're what, eight films deep into the Wes Anderson universe or something like that. And it's like, uh, you know, I don't think he's going to ever break out of the style. But <laughs> what I like is that he can jump from genre to genre in sort of interesting ways and then reform those genres around what he does. So I find that sort of aesthetic pleasure kind of comforting. I find it enjoyable. I like all the little attention to detail that he does. I like to see all the narrative tricks that he tries to pull in order to make this a film that doesn't have to rely on subtitles, but, but, you know, um, has, you know, isn't an, isn't a foreign language. I, I, I kind of like that. I think it's problematic. The thing that I was really, really, really am curious, about with this film is how it plays to a Japanese audience when it's translated. So in other words, when like if you're if you're in Japan watching this movie, you know, like you're obviously going to translate the main characters in, you know, the, you, the dogs are going to be now speaking Japanese. What function is the translator going to have? Uh, for, for those just fill, filling in, there's a thing at the b- beginning of this um, film where they say uh, all uh, Japanese speakers will be translated by uh, uh, a bilingual interpreter when they're available. As in, the movie will actually do a diegetic thing where we will see that character on screen translating what's happening. And that's normally like news things, like yeah. So you'll press see, conferences. yeah, you'll see a press conference, and you mm-hmm. and and the film will instead of watching the press conference, will pan away to the translator so we can hear what's happening. I'm what I'm really curious about is what happens in a Japanese version of this movie. Like what, what you know, like it's almost like you need to remove that element almost entirely, and a different version of this movie needs to exist. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really curious. Like that was my first question: is like, how does this play to a Japanese audience in Japan watching this film? Uh, hot take, not well. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I don't think it would would do that that w- just just from the just from the narrative mechanics. I, I, of I, that's translation. What I'm, talking about. I'm not right. talking about the cultural insensitivity or any of that jazz. I'm talking about like it just it's going to be weird because the, the the whole reason here's why this exercise is good. The the barks are translated into English, which is where I've saw it. So let's just go with the an American sort of viewing experience of this film <laughs> or an English speaker's viewing of this film. The reason why the exercise of having one group be the language that is the audience that is watching it and one group speak a different language that probably most of the audience doesn't understand is to make you empathize with the group that you understand the language and be comfortable going with them on their journey. That's why it's so interesting. Like you, you always go with the dogs and you're always, I mean, you're with the dogs because dogs are dogs, but also it keeps you narratively on board with their story. And it, and it's a very quick shorthand to be like, yes, uh, people I don't understand are doing shady things where, oh, now I'm back to the dogs barking. Like, I understand them. I understand the dogs. Yay. So like there's that, that exercise is a very interesting way of getting you involved with your main characters. I think when you put it in practice and it's not like a fake language of a fake culture that you're sort of like using instead and you're using Japanese, that gets interesting and dicey. And at first I was like, okay, I was like, I think it's the connection is worth it but it also um it also was like okay well maybe you could do it so the dogs don't understand humans and they play with that a little bit in the beginning mm-hmm. that you know there's miscommunication but then by the end of the movie and this isn't a spoiler really but the the interaction between especially Atari and the dogs and sometimes the other characters on the island and the dogs starts to become a little bit too simpatico for me it starts to become like they just all of a sudden start understanding what the other ones kind of want you to what what they want them to do mm-hmm. and so I'm like okay well they broke that and then I was like, 
And then the, the, the weirdly enough, the 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 the, the laziest uh, insensitivity to me was that the dogs all had American names right. written in English on their tags. And that to me broke the entire thing, and, and you know, because it's there. I like the dog names. I like Duke and 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 all. That. I had a dog named Duke, yeah. um, but that kind of was the was the sort of like taking the keystone out of the archway of this. Like, well, maybe I could make I can do the mental gymnastics to make this cultural insensitivity not quite be as meaningful. But when you take that little bit out, I'm like, oh, you just. Okay, like it was like it's not a super important thing, but it's the linchpin for me. That's like this got real lazy real quick. Well, in fairness, there are a lot of Japanese dogs that have American names. Yeah, my, my friend had a ja- who's Japanese had a dog. You had named a Japanese Potato dog. Chip. Yeah, Pot- <laughs> <laughs> and I think yeah, if you own a dog in Japan, I guess it's a Japanese dog, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Potato chip. <laughs> but so, but I mean, I I don't know this off the top of my head. I could you could have just blown up my entire linchpin thing. Is that is that a like? Do they most dogs in Japan have these simple sort of names? Because if they oh, do, I then mean, I could take. I, off I think that in the set. world that in the, I don't know in the world of this film they do. Um, and I and I have no like the issue that I have in like drilling down to that topic is is how does how does that translate when this film is presented to a Japanese audience? So I, I don't have no, any problem with the names being Spot, Duke, you know, whatever those seem like yeah. pretty universal dog names to mm-hmm. me. But the question is, is do their tags in the Japanese version of this film get subtitled? Get no, do they? It, it makes no sense to me for them to get subtitled into the language that the that the people are actually speaking. What would make more sense is if the tags didn't have English lettering on them and it was actually kanji and was in like a Japanese language. And I'm like, so that's where this mental exercise gets interesting for me. Is like, and, and you know, and it's same with the the bilingual interpreter. Interpreter is is like, do how do they deal with that narrative device in a in the lang in the native language of this film? And 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 that's what I. I I think this is a really interesting exercise that I yeah I I'm I'm sort of on board with it. I don't agree that it all entirely works. I kind of found the the only the only thing here is I think the the sort of the 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 push to jump to like cultural insensitivity and 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 you know like uh, him being kind of naive in the, in his approach I think is just a symptom of the time we live in now. Oh, where, yeah, you know like we're just in this world now where. Cultural appropriation is a is a is a term that is is more commonly used. We understand what it means now, and we're just in a different place than you know than what than this film would have been like five to ten years ago. Um, probably even when they started making the film, which was probably two to three years ago. Um, You're saying it would have been less. Um a bigger problem five ten years ago? No, I'm saying I think we are quick to call it out now because uh. we understand because because uh, the vernacular of cultural criticism now uh, understands cultural appropriation in a way. We're also moving closer towards like a globalized society. So I also yeah, <laughs> yeah. I also don't think it's technically what he's doing is not technically a cult- uh, cultural appropriation. <laughs> he because he's not really doing anything with the culture itself. He's just using it as a way to dif- to distance you from the villains. Yeah, he's othering yeah. J- Japanese people. Yeah. yeah. Which is why like I I kind of stopped short of agreeing with people when they're like it's an homage. It's not like, you know, yeah. it's like, it's not really an homage. It's I don't really think because, not. because the dogs are all white male voices. Yeah. It immediately others everyone else in the movie, except for the other white girl. Right. Which, yeah, which we can get that, to trace. That I think is a really, <laughs> uh, that to me is, white savior. So, so for example, if the, yeah, if, if that character didn't exist, then I would just say this is a sort of the, the fact that they have white Anglo-Saxon voices is just a symptom of the fact that we're watching it in America. 
But then they have a, but then there is a character voiced by Greta Gerwig who is a foreign exchange student who has taken the revolution, you know, like taken to like jumping mm-hmm. onto this revolution. I, I want to talk about that character, but I want to put a pin in it because I feel like we've also just shat on this a lot real quick. Let's <laughs> let's let's talk. I want because I, that's another big problem for me. But I would like to talk about some of the stuff that I did really yeah, enjoy. Yeah. Sure. Um, first of all, the animation team on this is I, I I was blown away by the I don't even know how I would put it but like it's that pseudo uh, DIY but definitely way too much to have done so, like it's it feels like a DIY like to the umpteenth degree all stop motion all beautiful I love the the way the, the dogs obviously look cool even with the hair sort of like blowing at the frame rate that it does and and you get you get instant personalities from all of the animals even from the first time you see them especially even from the Wes Anderson like straight on or or um you know um what's it called profile shots mm-hmm. uh the humans i think are i would even say visually more interesting for me than the dogs like mm-hmm. i think that they all have like the way and i want to talk to you about this Hosmer in a bit but like the way that they are designed i instantly knew like they give you an emotional reaction as to to the to how they look and then the character obviously helps to inform that but from an art director's perspective did you take anything sort of away from that did you sort of how did you how did you view this purely beyond the story just sort of like the way the art was telling you something i love the way it looked uh the people it's funny i i didn't really think the people stuck out to me that much i kind of thought it was really funny that they have like kind of like baby wallace and gromit mouth yeah yeah yeah. into showing like two sets of teeth every time they open their mouth uh it was it was really funny. It, I thought it was f- like I, I think the design of the characters um, was cool. Like Kobayashi was just like giant. It was a monolith. triangle, yeah, yeah. Tri- inverted <laughs> triangle, uh, kind of giant Dorito shaped guy. Yeah, um, and like Major Domo, who is kind of this like really grotesque character, but like you know this like lurch type yep. guy. You know, just like everyone kind of had their own little thing. It was fun. I you know. Um, I don't remember her name. Greta Gerwig with her big afro. That was, yeah, that was fun. <laughs> I I dug um I dug uh the scientist uh and his and and his mm-hmm. assistant uh, Yoko Ono. Yeah, yeah. Played by Yoko. Uh, played by Yoko. Ono. When it first happened, I was like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" And then I was like, "Oh yeah, it's actually played by Yoko Ono." Yeah, it was. I mean, it was kind of like I was curious about their their decision to make her look the way they did, which yeah. wasn't really like Yoko Ono at all, right? Or no, wrong? no. I mean, I don't. I didn't really Maybe see the young resemblance. Yoko Ono. Maybe possibly. Um, I think the the design style comes from uh, I think Henry Selleck, um, who did um, Caroline. Uh, you know, like, and he did. Um, Oh, what's the other? I've got it up here. Uh, Caroline? Is that Caroline? Yeah, Caroline. I, I call it Caroline. Caroline. That's yeah. okay. That I call Nightmare it- Before Christmas as well. He was oh. the animation. So it's that, they look so different. Yeah, it's the, it's he he's got that sort of naive but beautiful and you know hand animation style, which has that you know you can see the fingerprints in the in the models kind of thing. But at at the same time, there's this like level of uh, of complexity to the models, which is kind of astounding. Um, which is I'm sure is like right up Wes Anderson's alley, right? Yeah. I mean, because like, he's not a man to hide the way he makes something anyway. No, right? you, so you, you like, want to see everything. Henry Selleck didn't do this uh, didn't do this film, but he actually started with Wes Anderson on The Life Aquatic. He did The Tiger Shark in The Life Aquatic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he was going to do Fantastic <laughs> nice. Mr. Fox, but dropped out. And I think the, the, the style has kind of lingered on. And I think this film kind of still co- you know borrows from the, the style that was developed in Fantastic Mr. Fox. Mm-hmm. So it has that sort of like beautiful naivete to it, but you still kind of see the seams, but at the same time, it's still extraordinarily well crafted. Um, and I, yeah, I like like you guys. Uh, I, it's a, it's a pure delight to watch. You know, like to to see. Um 
there, there's a thing that I I love, and I think it's it's not to do with the animation style, but it's a it's a Wes Anderson thing. And and you guys will both know this because you're animators as well. Is that he doesn't use easy ease keyframes. It's like you know when you, when you see a a Wes Anderson uh, tracking move go from mm-hmm. left to right, mm-hmm. it hard stops yeah. at the right yeah. position, and it's like. And and uh, that's that's kind of part of his aesthetic. It's got this sort of like, <laughs> you, you you. It doesn't feel like a mistake in any way, and right. it's kind of it's kind of it's kind of cool because it's unique to what he does, and it's part of the 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 language of his films. Mm-hmm. So I really dig that. Um, I do too. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's something very percussive, I think, about the way his movies are, and yeah. not to say like loud or anything, but uh, but very rhythmic. Right? Yeah, and yeah. Like every scene has like a meter to it. Yeah, uh, which and is I, like super. Fun and yeah. playful. And I think that's what sort of calms people into that maybe on occasion sort of sleepy thing because you're so comfortable in it. You're like your brain is probably picking up on a on a very distinct pattern of the way things are moving. Uh but I but on a sort of side note to that, I think the score and the music uh choices in this film were absolutely <laughs> delightful. That the 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 I Won't Hurt You song uh is stuck in my head for a yeah. very long time. Um who else, who did the who did the Alexander Alexander Display? Yeah, he's done a bunch of stuff. Kingdom, right? Moonrise, he's done a bunch of stuff. He's been nominated for Oscars. He's been around for a while. His score for um, Fantastic Mr. Fox is absolutely mm-hmm. delightful. Um, yeah, he's a, he's an incredible composer uh, and has worked with Anderson a couple of times on the you know at this point as well. So it's yeah, but I agree. There's a there's a kind of rhythm to everything where the camera moves kind of feel in line with the percussion of the, for example, in this case, the taiko drumming. Yeah. Um, and then you know the way characters move in and out of frame is kind of mm-hmm. it, it, it's all kind of cohesive. That and that's that's this thing about Wes Anderson that I find really pleasing and I find really enjoyable is that there's this sort of insular sense of you know a, a fully sealed world that he that he is putting us through another thing that i really did like is that i feel like the movie itself is almost kind of like a wes anderson easter egg have you noticed this how like a dog always dies in his movies or like almost always dies oh yeah and in this one you got a lot of dogs but gonna... also spots can we do spoilers sure yeah we're getting into spoilers now. yeah yeah uh spots you think he's dead and then of course he he lives in the end so it, like I don't know if that was intentional or not but I feel like Wes Anderson is he's very cruel to dogs in his movies they yeah always, they always meet their demise in like really sad ways there, there's also like this sort of you, you could uh, uh, I think could make an argument that, that they're all within the same universe mm-hmm. um, there's a thing in like because uh, I just watched Royal Tannenbaums again where two characters head out, you know, ran away from home yeah. and head out in a museum. And then you've kind of got the same story happening in Moonrise Kingdom mm-hmm. where two characters, you know, two young, underage kids run away. Right. Um, so th- there's a sense that, you know, like this is the Wiss Anderson cinematic universe in some way. I mean, and there's always parent issues. There's always <laughs> yeah. issues with fatherhood in particular, it seems. Uh, there's there's a lot of, I mean, look, he's got his greatest hits and yeah. he goes back to them. And, he, in, and to his detriment and to his, I guess, to praise him as well he's very good at those things he, there's nobody he, else who does what he does he knows how to pull at the right heartstrings or or emotional uh you know pull pull points i don't know whatever what else get pulled by but the but the he kills dogs real good he yeah. kills dogs so good you know you know one thing i actually really appreciate about his work because because i think there's a sort of childlike quality to everything he does you know there's like a sort of a, yeah. a, a childishness to everything you know people characters kind of the jokes are kind of you know uh kid jokes a lot of the time but his films do get pretty dark and like he'll you'll have moments of like where suddenly you know in the royal tannenbaums for example which is this sort of like 
delightful fairy tale through New York, suddenly one character will commit, you know, right. attempt to commit suicide. <laughs> uh, in in the Life Aquatic, a character will die all of a sudden, and it will be a horrific death. And you'll kind of there's this there's a sense that you know, like again, he's got this sort of childlike, wondrous worldview, but he never the films never feel like they're just playing to that one audience. You know, like even the Fantastic Mr. Fox, which I've just watched with my two year old, is not a film appropriate for two year olds. You know, like there are moments in that film where I'm like, oh. I don't know if this is like really, you know, in the zone we want to be in for right. a two-year-old. Um, but that's what I kind of like about it as well, you know? Mm -hmm. Again, I, I don't want to... I, I agree. I think this... I When I was watching this movie, I I, I hadn't had this experience in, in a little bit. I was like, I... I I'm watching it. I'm actively being like, this is a good... This is a good film. I, I can see the artistry. And then I was just like, I think I'm over it. Like, right. which is so weird, but like, I would never want him. This is, this is the, this is the, the, the backhanded compliment beyond all of that. I would never want him to not make his movies. Like, right. does that make sense? Like yeah. I might start seeing them less, but I, I, I like his little place that he has or big place yeah. at this point in, in Holly, in the Hollywood system. Uh, because there is nothing like it, even if he does live in this one very specific space of dog hurting, daddy issue, uh, locked off shots, yeah. hands that stop instantly, like a person guilty, uh, pausing for a long period of time and then running away from the camera. Like there's things he does over and over and over again, but like, I don't know, like it comforts me that it's there. To that do you want to see him make the next Star Wars movie? Uh, we, I think there was a great video where like, there was. what if Wes Anderson made the X-Men movie or something like oh, that. Oh, right, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah, Wes yeah. Anderson made Superhero. Uh, no, I, I actually, to be honest, I wouldn't want him to do any franchise stuff. Uh, yeah, sure. It just yeah. would kind of, and, unless there was a weird, like, I, this is just spitballing just randomly from this question, but like if... If we were doing a literal like Gwenpool movie and in it she made a reference to being in a Wes Anderson movie and then for like two minutes it was a Wes Anderson <laughs> movie directed by Wes Anderson. Like, yeah, meta stuff. Sure. I don't want to see Captain Marvel directed by Wes Anderson. Like, I think it, I think it is telling, though, that he's never he's never done a sequel to any of his films and he's never done anything other than Fantastic Mr. Fox. That was a property that he didn't originate. Right. Um, and I think that's kind of interesting. I would, I totally agree with you though, about this film. I, you know, I, I said at the beginning, I think it's sort of a little bit lesser tier Anderson for me. I, I put it along. Not full Anderson. Yeah. Not full Anderson. It's a little, <laughs> it's more Anderson Cooper than Wes Anderson. <laughs> I would argue Anderson Cooper is pretty full Anderson. Though. He has got the hair and the glasses. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's pretty, always full Anderson. He's always full Anderson. <laughs> um, I, I, I kind of put it alongside, I think, um, Darjeeling, which is a film again, I would happily revisit, but it's not one I actively like go out of my way to revisit. Mm -hmm. And I think had interesting moments in it. And there are things in, about, in it that I like, mm -hmm. um, you know, because I like Wes Anderson. Uh, but but I'm not I, I didn't go over the moon for this movie like I did for Fantastic Mr. Fox um, or or even I didn't go over the moon for Moonrise Kingdom. But I like Moonrise Kingdom a lot more than this. Um I don't know where you guys got before we jump into, I think, the biggest elephant in the room on this film. Uh, before we jump into that, I mean, like, where where does this kind of land in in not only Wes Anderson world, but 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 but, you know, like where you think, you know, how your enjoyment for this film was. The funny thing is, is like I, I, I would put it probably like I would put it above some of his other ones. I, <laughs> I, I liked it maybe a little more than you did. Yeah, because I almost feel like. Like I get the sense that if Wes Anderson could 
make movies in any medium, he would like to do it like this. Like, yes. I feel like this is as close as he can get to like his vision. Yeah. And therefore there's something that's it, a little it, it stop motion. You mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like some, some kind of like, you know, insane creative control yeah. right, that takes years. Like that's probably as close as we can get to like true vision right. of, of his. Yeah. And for some reason, I feel like that, that somehow translates to like, Maybe that's one of his better movies. Right, right, right. So he's done two stop motion movies and one stop one movie with stop motion in it, and that would be. <sighs> but that sounds fucked up to say. That can't be one of his better movies. Right, his best movies. But I, I, there's something about the stop motion that I found that I that made me like it more than if it was just like if it was yeah okay I think standard Anderson. I yeah. think it's because <laughs> because we've been conditioned by him <laughs> to to sort of expect and feel a certain thing from him, and this film feels like it would be how his mind actually sees the rest of the world and he's kind of showed us that through all of his films but this this almost feels like the purest form of full anderson yeah um and i liked like this is this is the uh, again i i want people to see this movie i i think it has many worthwhile qualities i I just don't think that full Anderson is for me anymore. <laughs> like if that makes that's, sense. That's yeah. fair. I, I mean, I think you're, you're right. And that in, in this respect now, like we kind of know what we're getting and we didn't get anything revolutionary or new with this, with this film. I mean, the newness is the art design and the animation, but then you're lulled into his familiar false or not even, not even false, his familiar sort of blanket of filmmaking. And you're like, well, this is just the same thing, even though it looks completely different. It right. feels the same. Um, the, uh, before we get to the elephant in the room, <laughs> yeah. let's keep talking about this elephant. Cause there's no elephant. The in the Japanese yeah. elephant. This yeah. big non-Japanese <laughs> elephant. Uh, Stop motion elephant. Uh, but the uh, one thing I didn't, like story-wise I think character-wise voice acting all the actors did an amazing job I think it's super fun I really was sad that the other dogs didn't and to, sorry for the pun get their day every dog outside of uh spots and uh Brian Cranston's chief the other dogs just sort of felt a little bit like a chorus like the only other one that I can name a specific kind of personality trait is Jeff Goldblum's it's like oh did you hear the rumor did you hear the rumor and yeah. that's it, like mm -hmm. and, and originally um Ed Norton's is kind of like the almost leader but not really he's like the put it to a vote guy yeah, yeah. Right. and the other ones are just like mumbly along like oh yeah 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 it's like, Bill Murray and Bob Balaban yeah um, and and they're good but I wish like there was more to that. Like I, I was expecting a bit more of an ensemble sort of thing. And it really wasn't. And I liked the direction it went, but because they gave me all five characters in the beginning, I was mm -hmm. like, Oh, there's so many yeah. characters in this there movie. Really is, yeah. There's a lot of story in this movie. So it's kind of hard. I, 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 I don't know if, I agree with you. Like, like I liked it when Harvey Keitel's uh, yeah. dog came on. Yeah, yeah, was yeah, like, yeah, Shame on you. Yeah, I, I like that. But it, you know, there is a lot of there's a lot of narrative happening in this movie. I, I don't know if Wes Anderson's going back. I mean, the ensembles get bigger and bigger. Like, yeah, like Grand Budapest had like a hundred famous people in it. You know? Yeah, like, Moonrise Kingdom was equally big and you know encompassing right. as well. So, and and like the the pack of dogs that like didn't get their doggy day <laughs> didn't bother me no, that much. No. Like, right. I, I kind of saw those. Like, I gave up on trying to differentiate them almost immediately because I was like <laughs> to me they're the they're like the Cub Scouts from Moonrise Kingdom like yeah. you're not really supposed to know them okay. yeah. right. they're just like a pack yeah. and like in that moment where you think they all get like killed in the in like the trash compactor I was kind of like oh, oh that's kind of funny that's, <laughs> like, that's, like, that's very on brand I guess, Wes. They're, I guess yeah. they're all dead yeah. <laughs> and like when they came back I was like oh okay they're still alive so 
elephant in the room, four, well, four-legged creature in the room, <laughs> which is this question about cultural appropriation and, and the, the question that surrounds this film. I think we've addressed it already in terms of the way in which this film uses language and deploys language in interesting ways, um, which at sometimes is inventive, at other times problematic, mm-hmm. um, particularly around Greta Gerwig's character, the foreign exchange student. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, again, I'm, I'm still sort of just that question of how does this play in Japan? Well, it's, it's and, and like not even just like how does it play, you know, will an audience like it? How, like, I mean, mechanically, how do you how do you translate this film into Japanese? Not well. I think I said that before. Like it's just, it feels like it needs to. It, it needs to have an entirely different cut. It would, which 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 omits right. significant portions of this cut. Well, not even. I don't think it's a specific cut. I think it's a matter of you would get a different viewing experience because you would. The only way to give a Japanese audience the same type of experience is if you dubbed all the Japanese people in English. Maybe. Like, that's the only way you would really be able to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that would just be odd. Yeah. Um, I have heard that, uh, I think this might have been in, like, written up in Vulture or something, like, a, a bunch of Japanese people did watch it mm-hmm. in listening to the Japanese to see, like, what their yeah. takeaway was. And I, they were basically, like, all the Japanese is accurate, but it's not. It's, it's like, not the way people it's speak. It's simplified, and it's yeah. like, yeah, it's not, like, floral. So, like, even if they could hear it, yeah. it wouldn't necessarily, it would just be, like, a super boring conversation. Style, right. right. I think right. I actually have that specific quote. It was from a, a, a writer at Daily Beast, Karen Han, who wrote, uh, okay. whenever the there isn't translation available, the Japanese dialogue is shortened and made more context-friendly, and the Japanese characters re- resort to using anglicized words at strange junctures to get their point across. It's a surface-level tribute mm. um, to, to the Japanese language. Let me ask you this, because now I'm sort of thinking about this. Say they did do what I said, right? <laughs> Say they dubbed all of the Japanese people in English, and the translator now spoke Japanese and the dogs all spoke Japanese and the foreign exchange students spoke Japanese is this is just is that no longer uh, culturally insensitive think about it first because I I don't know (laughs) here's my question I I think this actually opens a broader question that I have about this film which is which directly relates to what you're saying okay and my broader question is why is the sit in Japan yeah, because he likes yes. the look of it. That I mean, of, I think literally that's it. I, because yeah. the, because there's I actually think, no real reason nope. that this movie is set in Japan. Yeah, because in fact, we, there is a there is an Isle of Dogs, and it was in Turkey. Yeah, it was in Turkey, right? Istanbul, exactly. Yeah. Oh my god. Um, I think it, it, I think Japan, you know, is lends itself well to Wes Anderson sensibilities. His mm. whole like everything in its place. Yeah, sort of. His whole style of doing things, and I think that might be like that might have that might be it, right? I, I and I like I went to a talk that he gave, and he talked about you know being influenced by Kurosawa and um, Miyazaki. Um, Is it a love letter then? I, I here's here's the thing. I think there are um, criticisms to this film in terms of cultural appropriation, and I think they're not they're they're not unwarranted. But I, I'm sort of curious by that because again, he made a film set entirely in Eastern Europe. Uh, you know, like two movies ago and we haven't really the, the, the same conversation didn't didn't happen around that um, you know and this is a fictional Japan as well this is Megasaki Japan in the future mm-hmm. um, so so I you know I, I don't think that the 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 conversation around cultural appropriation is unwarranted I think people have fear to have that that conversation the thing is though I I, I think we're you know again as I said before we're in this 
time and place where where people are latching onto that because we're in a time and place where we uh, and it's a good thing. We are much more attuned to the meaning of media. Sure. You know, like we're much more attuned to what does this mean rather than what is it, you know, what is the story? <laughs> the only problem with it is, is I think if you really start to unfurl this argument, it kind of comes down to a stay in your lane kind of conversation, which is like, oh, Wes Anderson, you don't really know Japan, so maybe you shouldn't be making movies about Japan. And I, that's one thing I kind of don't really agree with sure. because I think the fact that he's making a movie set in Japan, even if there are flaws to it and faults to it um, and, and maybe doesn't deal with the Japanese-ness of it as as well as it could, I think that's much more interesting than if this was just an English English language film. Sure. sure. I think, but the, the thing is, and you keep saying the, the term of cultural appropriation, I don't think this film was cultural appropriation at all. I just think it's insensitive and it's, and it's not thinking about the things that, because appropriation is sort of like taking credit or like moving with the culture and like sort of absorbing it. He's not really doing that, especially because he's treating Japan as as the other, Th- that in itself it is a l- is it, uh, kind of what you said in the beginning, Haas. Mm-hmm. At at best, um, ignorant or what was it? At best, um, lazy. Lazy. Thank you. That's what it was. <laughs> and at worst, in, in you know, culturally insensitive. The the it's it's almost like all the little pieces of it add up more and more and more. And the the elephant, as we were almost sort of got to, I think is the, and I keep calling her Tracy, I hope it's correct, uh, the Tracy character by played by Greta Gerwig, Tracy Walker, is literally, like, what this movie definitely didn't need if it wanted to not have people talk about this is a white savior character. Totally. From a script, from a scripting perspective, you could have totally had the hacker guy who yeah. basically did everything anyway yep. be that character, be Japanese, not not have every character outside of the very silent scientist duo uh, be incredibly <laughs> evil. Like you, you could very easily turn this tide, and instead, what he decides to do is go for his. And this is a trope of his too. Th- this sort of uh, younger woman character that's sort of in a lot of his films. Um, and then what even got me too was like, yeah, we have the white savior. Yes, it's this sort of um, character that he's done before. But then when there's that scene when she's with her uh, in her um, her foster parents' house or the 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 um, whatever, and she's going through the the checklist of all yep. of the stuff, being a sort of narrative dumping ground there. Yep. Um, then she has this thing, and it's meant to be a cute sort of throwaway thing and whatever. It's in the trailer, but she's like, I think I have a crush on you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She. She kind of, and again, this is the fucking cis white dude talking about this shit, so I always feel like a dumbass, but I'm like, do we need, does she now need to have a romantic, like, why is she all of a sudden crushing on, like, we're, we're, you're, you're taking a character that's already problematic and maybe sprinkling a little more problems on it just because it's your, your, it's, it it is, that's his lane. Right. He's sticking, he's, he's going full Anderson outside of his lane and trying to build his own little lane in there. And it's, it's just this addition. It's all of these things put together that make it problematic. I feel like if you take one or two of these out or you fix them here or there like i think it'd be fine even in this in the societal temperature i just i it's it's a lot it's a lot of it's it's almost not death by any means but like uh like um insult by paper cut uh Mm -hmm. i don't know i i and and 
what what's tricky too is like I again I like the look of it I like I want him to do things I like his style even though I am getting sick of it I'm very wishy washy on this <laughs> yeah yeah um I don't know what I it's just it's hard and and it's and I agree with you Shahir a hundred percent I don't want to ever say that people outside of a culture can't make a film about a culture but you but but when you do that as it should have been always but nowadays is the norm or it should be you gotta be real careful and and measure yourself and think about the very real implications of what you're doing and i don't think wes anderson is measured in his style and that is it Mm -hmm. i don't think he and and that's fine or is it i don't know (laughs) (laughs) i'm melting down here here's okay patrick go ahead yeah, I, I mean, I, again, the, like you say, there's there's subtle things, lots of little things that kind of made it, you know, took it from, you know, OK to maybe a little bit not OK. Like, uh, you know, Tracy, basically, as soon as she declared her, you know, like she's got a crush on Atari, Atari disappeared from the movie. Like, yeah. like he's not basically he's basically not in the movie anymore after that. Yeah. Like it becomes a Tracy movie, which is weird and because then, she's yeah. not even in the main scenario. You know, like she's not even actually part of the central conflict. Right. <laughs> right. And I kind of I actually kind of forget what happens to Atari. Like he just he eventually he, he marches goes, in. Oh, he gets a new kidney. Right. Yeah. 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 He, so he like kind of goes to the hospital and then like that's yeah, then he's done. So like those kinds of things are a little, a little funny. There's a few other paper cuts that kind of stuck out to me and maybe like, I don't know. I feel like maybe these might be like super subtle. Yeah. You want to hear something? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, okay. yeah of course. <laughs> let's cut this. No, okay. no, you just, you just, you can drop that super subtle yeah. and be like, no, let's move on. No, let's move on. <laughs> you know what? Forget it. I got to go. I want you to go full Hosmer. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So there's some things and this is probably the, the, the Japanese side of me talking, but that like. I found like extremely strange mm-hmm. and like I was surprised that they weren't flagged. So, you know, just to start in a very broad sense, right? Like if you ask anyone to make a Pinterest board of like Japan, they cover pretty much all yeah. of it, right? It's like yeah. haikus, taiko drums, you know, bullet trains, uh, cherry blossoms, yeah. all that shit. Samurai, that's all in there. Yeah. And that's fine because that's everyone's vision of Japan essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So that resonates with pretty much everyone. But then there's like a secondary set of things that still kind of resonate, but are actually, I think, pretty disrespectful. Such as? Such as mushroom clouds in Japan. Yep. Can't do it. No, yep. Not appropriate. Like, don't do that. Like, yeah. I'm amazed someone wasn't like, let's just not make it a mushroom cloud. Yeah, like, yeah. get that one out of there. Uh, Yakuza tattoos. Yep. They're not, they're taboo. It's not like they're banned in Japan, but like a politician doesn't show tattoos. Like that's super weird. Right. There are a couple other ones. Major Domo, I thought was just fucking racist. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, why is he so racist? Yeah. 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 Uh, oh, and and then and then kind of. I mean, maybe this is like going way too deep, but like, Let's do it full in, hause internment camps. Like, yeah, like, I this was the thing I actually was gonna just talk about. Yeah, uh, I, I, do you want to keep? That's pretty much it. Okay. <laughs> I, in that respect, I was actually I I thought this was the, the starting point of this film, which was this idea of uh, of dogs being taken to, uh, you know, basically being deported. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was kind of an interesting place to start this film, given where we are politically right now uh, in, in America. You know, um, just to say, but also the history of Japanese internment in America as well. And I thought that was an interesting sort of point to start. And it was kind of like the first time I'd ever felt like we. Anderson maybe getting a little political and using <laughs> what he does, you know, to like comment on the world as we see it today, because that is one thing that Wes Anderson typically doesn't do. Right. There is not a lot of like 
societal relevance to what Wes Anderson does in the real world, right. know, in his films. Right. So I thought that was kind of an interesting point. And then the other, the other, the sort of secondary part to that was that the film actually resolves politically as opposed to uh, from an action, you know, like it doesn't resolve because someone gets something and, you know, like, you know, saves the day or something like that. It actually resolves oddly politically mm-hmm. with, 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 with basically, uh, and, and it's an interesting resolution because uh, Kobayashi decides to step down because he acknowledges his own corruption. <laughs> and then, for, you know, like through sort of a, a strange couple of degrees of machinations, Atari becomes the new leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, dogs are reinstated, and it's kind of like this odd political conclusion, which I think kind of ties into that opening. I, I actually did. I was kind of like, but but the, at the heart of that, the thing that's problematic about that, just from a pure watching point of view, is it is kind of anticlimactic. You know, like when you watch it, there's the, you, the movie just kind of like starts barreling towards this end that almost has nothing to do with everything we've just seen. <laughs> yeah, and it gets like, and, and yeah, and I was like, oh, this is really taken a turn and not not a turn that resonates in a way that is meaningful for what we've seen. I definitely wanted to own a dog after seeing the movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, yeah. oh, I love dogs. I mean, there's enough dogs crying in this movie yeah. where they're like, I need to take four home. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Lots of, lots of teary-eyed dogs. Yeah, yeah but these dogs thing. are perfect as well, by the way. These dogs are like, you know, like I love it when Edward Norton, the dog, turns around and yells at him and tells him to sit and he says, no, you're being disobedient. Yeah. You know, like it's just like this thing where like dogs must love their masters. Mm-hmm. I, I was like, okay, whatever. But but yeah, I, I kind of I think that sort of political sensibility to the film was interesting, mm-hmm. though not quite fully realized. Yeah. And I and what it and by sitting it in Japan kind of did some interesting things as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the fact that it is set in Japan, like cart, it, it like cartoonized it, like yeah. it, it made it less. Consequential, right? I think I want to go back to saying things I like about it. Okay, uh, one, I like how they treat cats, they don't outwardly (laughs) make cats like the villain or anything like that, but they are the pets of the bad people. But they don't like actively make like I was expecting there to be way more, but I'm glad, like, that even beyond like a nemesis cat, like, even beyond a cat beneath Kobayashi, like, you could you could easily have that happen, and instead of robot dogs, have it be cat, like, it's Mm -hmm, just mm -hmm. and I I appreciate the restraint. <laughs> both as a cat lover and just from a narrative keeping it clean sort of perspective. Uh, also, Kobayashi. Let's talk about Kobayashi. Sure. I really liked, even though he was the villain, I really liked that at these press conferences, no matter what, he would be like, let the other people speak. And it was actually just the will of the people being really dumb and buying into propaganda. He's like, Oh, anyone else can speak. And the scientists come up and like, be like, actually we have a cure and there's nothing wrong. And like, whatever. And then all the people just like, boo. Like, it's just like, so like he was a villain, but he was like, I don't know. Like I, I like, I like smart, confident villains, I guess. And that's the most confident thing one can do in an argument is to be like anyone who'd like to disagree with me. Please come up and tell me why. Right. And even right. though if he's got it sort of covered in the back and he's doing shady deals to do it, but that's like that's a that's a strong villain to me. So I don't know. I just liked that. That was a nice touch. And then and then even the non-combative, while it did feel like there was a first act, then a second act, then a second second act, uh, I feel like uh the I like that he was like, oh, my God, I was wrong. And that's going full Anderson. Yeah. Um, and then he gives his his ward his kidney, yeah. which shows the same level of animation, like that top down thing of yeah. care as when they prepared the poison wasabi the sushi, sushi roll. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep. Uh, 
I don't know. Those are the. I just thought of two little small things that I liked, even though because I feel like we have to. I, I like going back and forth on this movie yeah, because it is a divisive movie in that yeah. respect. Yeah. One thing, another thing that I really like that it, that is like a new to the uh, Wes Anderson cinematic universe is um, the sort of cell animation for like newsreels yeah, and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. It, it looked so good. Yeah. That uh, was so great. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that was like a really nice touch that just felt like super, like, I don't know. It was so pleasing. smart. Yeah. And yeah. like when there were scenes where like if a character was running at a camera, you'd see on screen they were animated. And then right. when it smashed, they'd go back to stop motion. And right. I was like, yeah. yes. Yeah, there was a kind of that thing cool. where whenever you were looking at, you were looking at the film, watching a piece of film, they would do a hand-drawn animation, which mm -hmm. I thought was kind of rad. It was so yeah. good. I, I'm just, you know, like jumping back into the sort of cultural appropriation conversation or cultural insensitivity conversation, I think think the thing that's interesting about you know just the time we're at again is you know thinking about other filmmakers and and this is like usually when i google lists on on uh on google it's like i can be really specific and i'll usually find someone who's written a list of this thing people that go full anderson yeah you could probably find a list for that but this was one list i couldn't actually find and i was just i because the thing that i started thinking about was like other american or other filmmakers that have gone to a foreign country and made a film sit entirely in that country hmm. um there's not to, the, we get many cases of foreign filmmakers coming to america to make movies such wow. as bong joon hoo doing snowpiercer yep. Park chan wook doing stoker uh, this is again i'm, I'm kind of creating this <laughs> list right now Just make a list. <laughs> but i started thinking about oh we don't we didn't really have this conversation around paul thomas anderson making phantom three which is, you know, an American going to London and making arguably a fairly sort of characteristically stiff upper lip British movie, you know, like, and, and it's made by, written and directed by an American. And we don't really have that conversation around it. Danny Boyle did Slumdog Millionaire, you know, yeah. like an entirely, a film set in India, where, you know, where they do the similar sort of translating, you know, between English and 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 Hindi for, for sort of reasons that are not apparent to the characters. Um, I, I think my favorite ones are Mel Gibson doing Apocalypto and uh, The Passion of the Christ, where he made a film entirely in Aramaic. I, I I think that's kind of amazing. Mm -hmm. And Martin Scorsese doing Silence, you know, uh, oh, a yeah. couple of years ago. So I think, you know, like, it's interesting that we're sort of really honing in on on Wes Anderson for, for sort of jumping out of his lane. But it's not an unusual thing. Well, I and would I, also say, too, out of all those things you've said, if you look at the timeline of when those films were specifically made, I, the, as you go down that line, yeah. they get sort of more cringy and more cringy and more cringy for me personally around this sort of similar stuff. I do think it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a thing of the times. It's it's and, and I like that it is like this now. Again, yeah. I people should be able to make whatever they want to make yeah. but they need to understand the thing they're making and understand how that thing will make people feel and then decide after really thinking about it long and hard if decisions that they want to do are worthwhile doing yeah and and i i feel like a lot of people and in this is again it's more like paper cutty stuff with wes anderson here i don't think he really did it so i think i, I think he tried at certain points to make you know um Con consolidations or, or something I don't know just sort of um, things to make it sort of be better in that regard but I don't think he did enough um, I'm going to roll this into my final thoughts then we'll do Shahir then we'll finish it off with with Patrick but the I, I for all this shit talk that I'm giving this from that sort of angle of it I can't also not tell you to not see this movie because it is if you love Wes Anderson you're going to like this movie at least it's charming the animation's great the voice actor's wonderful the score and the sound design is top notch it's just in this day and age, 
like it, 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 it is tone deaf in many, many small places. And when you add them up, if, if you go to this thing and you just sort of, and I hate to even sort of go to this level, but like turn your brain off and go see the emotionally fun dog movie. Like you, you, you will have a good time, but I feel like a lot of us, and I hope this is also true. The, you, you start seeing things like this and you do start questioning stuff and you read things on the internet. And sometimes those go too far, but it's, at least it's opening up the conversation around it. And hopefully if we have enough of these conversations, we'll get less and less of this paper cutty sort of insensitivity. So I would say see the movie, but also know and realize that there are actual issues with it from both a insensitivity perspective and a filmmaking perspective in that regard. Shahir. Uh, I, I, I don't disagree with anything you said. I think, you know, for, for me, as I said before, it's uh, I'm a you know lifelong fan of Wes Anderson. I don't think this is one of my favorite experiences of seeing a Wes Anderson film. I didn't flip out over it, but I kind of, I did dig that he was trying for something different that he doesn't normally do. And I, you know, like, again, that, that sort of stay in your lane thing, I, I'm sort of opposed to. So I like that he tried to jump out into this. And I don't think it's an outwardly insensitive movie. I just think inherently there are some things and it might just be a case of like what Wes Anderson does as a storyteller just doesn't match with how you can accurately portray Japan. It might, you know, that might just be a, a factor in it. It might just be a case of, you know, not kind of acknowledging these kinds of things. But, you know, um, that's also a reflection of where we are in our, you know, in our sort of cultural understanding of how languages and how cultures are different um, happen. So I, I, I think on a... If you enjoy Wes Anderson movies, I think this is a film to see. If you're, if you want to see a film about like cool dogs walking around and like <laughs> give you the feels about dogs and that sort of thing, you know, this is another great thing that he does. Any, any, you know, there, there is a level of of sincerity that Wes Anderson can bring to to characters that few filmmakers can do. I think what he does with Chief in this film, for example, you know, Chief has a real story arc in this movie that we kind of see from start to finish, and mm -hmm. it is work. It actually does land, and I and I, you know, like I did get an emotional connection from what happens to Chief in this movie. Um, to, in in regards to that question of culture insensitivity, I don't think it's insensitive. I think it's just problematic, and we and and what's great about it being problematic is that we can have conversations about it now because we as viewers, uh, I think, on a whole, are becoming much more tuned to that conversation happening. So so you know, yeah, I'm 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 straight down the middle of this movie as well. I'm <laughs> Really like 50-50 on this movie. All right, so you got two 50-50s going at you, Osmer. Take take us out. Tip the scales. Yes. Uh, should we police movies that can be deemed offensive? Of course not. Uh, should we censor movies that we find offensive? Of course not. Um, did I cringe a little bit in this movie? Yes. I also laughed a lot in this movie. Uh, dogs are great. 50 uh, 50 <laughs> times three is 150 by 150 by three if we take the math divide it by pi uh, go around the radius twice yep, and, yep. and maybe spin it around the sun we come uh, to I believe that is the full Anderson equation wow wow there you go this has been the only podcast about Isle of Dogs uh, thank you for listening I know Shahir he's pointing very at the emails he's pointing at the screen that we have to do the emails we're trying something different this week we're going to read the emails at the end we know it's, okay, but I thank you for reminding me. 
Okay. Um, Hosmer, chime in whenever you'd like. We got a lot of emails um, this week and Twitters. and Ooh, Twitters. I love Twitters. Twitters. Yeah, we like um, the Twitters. I, hello, fellow young people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Shahir, why don't you start us off? Okay, I'm going to jump in with uh, Laura, who emailed us in about uh, our Desert Island film. Um, and she just wanted to chime in with her Desert Island film. Um, you know, she said if she was also on the plane, I think if you remember the analogy was we're on a plane, Matt's in first class, I'm in cattle class, she would be in business class. And the film that she um, wanted to think about, because she has a lot of favorites in lots of different characters, char- uh, categories. So I started thinking, she, Laura here, what would, I, what would I want and need to watch being isolated on an island? Something that can be comforting, fun, but all, overall, some, I'd want something that reminds me of humanity and how great people are. So I would take, Laura, would take Man on Wire. Um, That's a good choice. It's an excellent choice. It's a film I actually really, really love, and despite actually only ever seeing it on a plane. Um, and this is what Laura says about this film. Every time I watch that film, I just fall in love with Philippe's passion for what he does, for art, for all the people that have helped him do what uh, do what he did, simply because he wanted to do it. He's such a great character, too, which would provide the entertainment aspect, the sadness, happiness, love, and heartbreak. I, th- I think the film got um, everything that would remind you of what living with humans was like. Um, so that's another great choice. Uh, I recommended a film to Laura to check out a film called uh, Deep Water, uh, which is a similar documentary about a man driven to obsession for doing trying to do this one thing. Uh, really, really fantastic film. But thanks again uh, for that email, Laura. Uh, and Matt, you want to jump over? To I thought class? I was going to say Deep Blue Sea. I yeah. thought I was going to give that yeah, to yeah, a little yeah. bit of shark. Too enthusiastic thumbs up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is from Stephen on Facebook, also about uh, ye old-fashioned Desert Island films. I love that everyone is getting in touch with us about this, by the way, because it opens up a really cool discussion. Uh, Stephen writes, I got a bunch of uh, you know the one movie answers that are designed to say more about me than the movie uh, to make me seem more interesting and more intelligent. But since it just took me over 40 seconds to spell check the word intelligent, my guilty desert island movie would be My Cousin Vinny. I just love it and have all the feels for uh, no matter how many times I see it. Uh, so there. Also, MC, uh, there's an MCU connection for me there. Uh, I don't what, know. What is the MCU? Oh, oh, Marissa Tomei. Marissa Tomei is, 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 is Aunt May. Yeah. Um, nice. So I think that's a good choice too. Uh, I also like. I also do. You guys do this when when people are like, oh, what's your favorite movie? Depending on who, what your audience is, do you shift it or do you be like, well, I got like three. Like, I used to, and I just completely stopped. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I have no answer to that question. Uh, you know, it's like I can tell you some movies I've watched recently that I like. I do top five. That's what I try to do. Right. Um, but I also, but like back in the day, I remember it was really important to be like, well, I need, I need the arty film, and I need the thing, and I need the fun mm-hmm. film. Like it's it's very interesting because you do especially when you talk with people about cinema in circles you don't want to seem like a chump but at the same time it's such a subjective medium yeah i like i i would make a passionate argument for hudson hawk for example yes. you know like yes. i would like go all in on hudson hawk uh, but you know like it, it, it really depends who you're talking to and like you know what you're trying to convince them oh, man, that's a really good one i fucking yeah. love hudson that movie hawk. we also uh we we talked up to uh, ross again who my friend from college we mentioned last week or the week before his was uh, iron giant or independence day but he accepted the Masters of the Universe challenge. Someone who was not uh, grown up with He-Man, who had never seen the film, watching it now. He wrote a big, long email that I really, really liked, but he gave me bullet points. So I'm going to read those for the sake of time because they are excellent. These are his takeaways from a, a, a Masters of the Universe virgin. No He-Man? No He-Man. No, but just a a like for sci-fi movies, for like maybe a possibly cheesy sci-fi movie. He says, uh, what on earth uh, was with the random fourth wall breaking when Tila looks at the camera in the battle and says, woman at Oz? He says, it's sassy, but... 
but it's very odd. He says, uh, Bill Conti's score was great. I agree. He says, the super New York cop, Lubick, was so weird and awesome. I love that he just retired to Castle Grayskull at the end of the film with some girl he randomly met there. I 100% agree. That's so weird. He-Man's mustache older friend, he calls him Duncan, which is his true name. He is Man at Arms, is his title, Hell was yeah. great. I loved that he was always hungry. I feel like I've seen that exact guy blow up an X-Wing 20 times. Uh, that was my favorite one. Yeah. Uh, he also says, uh, is this the OG post credit scene? Because at the end of this film, Skeletor promises to return. He pops up from the water. He's like, I'll be back. Um, and he doesn't come back. And he wonders if this is a setup for a sequel. It was, Ross, the script for Cyborg is actually a mod the, the Jean-Claude Van Damme vehicle um was actually a script for Masters of the Universe 2 stop it but He-Man fell out of favor so they reworked and if you watch Cyborg with that in mind it's a little trippy oh, and then the God. final thing he says overall I definitely enjoyed the film and, and my time with it and would love to see it again someday with friends and a few beers it seems like it would be much more enjoyable to watch in a group environment with much shouting and merriment so thank you Ross for doing that uh and I would suggest to everyone out there to please watch this movie with your friends and make fun of it. Someone else who did uh, uh, chime in with the uh, with taking up the challenge, not only watching Master of the Universe but also watching If for Fake, uh, was Jonathan Blade on Twitter, who said, "So far, uh, uh, this is about If for Fake. Uh, so far, outside of the box, that I'm not even sure what happened to the box. <laughs> if for Fake tries to pull you in with a visual rhythm so that you don't see what is going on uh, on its other hand. Definitely a look at what I can do project from Orson Welles. Thank you very much for recommending that one. Um, and then uh, about Master of the Universe." which he also hadn't seen, um, he said, well, I was wearing an incredulous smile as the credits roll, so that's something, I guess. <laughs> I guess. Thanks for that backhanded I, compliment, Blade. He said, he said, I get it, though. I'm a ride or die for the first Silent Hill movie, and my certainty Ooh. of its quality is a hell upon which I'm willing to die. That's a good movie. Um, that's a good Desert Island movie, too, if you just want a fun horror movie. <laughs> um, we also, uh, there was a little back and forth uh, with myself and somebody else on Twitter about Out of Sight. Just somebody else. Uh, uh, well, it's a potential guest that will be coming up uh, on our show later on so I'll, I'll reveal that at some other point but this person was talking about uh, Steven Soderbergh's Out of Sight which is a movie I absolutely adore and I hope we can do an entire it's so episode good. so good uh, and this person said it is the coolest slickest smartest funniest sexiest movie Sexy. everywhere pure class everywhere it might be my favorite performance of any actor involved has ever delivered and I'll be honest it gets me hot under the collar from shot from Whoa. the shotgun in the parking lot to the last frame every time oh now I really want to know who this guest is uh, that person is a writer and we'll hopefully have them on some point soon. All right. Um, and is that it? Uh, no. There are more We've emails. Done a lot. Let's save them for next week. Yeah, Let's there's, save them there's for more next emails. Week. We'll save them for next week. Uh, Again, if, thank if, you so much, everyone. Yeah, it, thank you. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can tweet us at OnlyMoviePod or you can email us your thoughts uh, at OnlyMoviePodcast at gmail.com. Let us know your Desert Island films. Let us know some stuff you want us to talk about. Hell, please let us know if you like hearing the emails at the end of the episode <laughs> instead of the beginning. We're trying something new. Uh, Patrick. Hello. Hey, buddy. Hi. Thanks so much for coming and talking Isle of Dogs. Thanks for having me. Uh, if 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 people were to want to find your life and works, and I suggest they do, where can folks find you? You can find me on Twitter at Patrick Hosmer, Patrick, H-O-S-M-E-R, heymister.net. That's my website. You do these great political cartoons. As oh, every my God. Well. Can we talk about Shitty Cabinet for a second? Yeah. Sure. Uh, Shitty Cabinet. Everyone needs to check it out. That's on your Instagram or is that um, on your website? It's on my Instagram and my website. Okay. My What's Instagram, your Instagram? It's at Patrick Hosmer once again. And uh, yeah, hashtag Shitty Cabinet. 
it's not just cabinet members though. That's the thing. It's a little bit of a misnomer. It doesn't right. matter. It's administration it's, members. Yeah. Every time you create one of these things, it 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 takes it turns the frown upside down for me in our current political system. And it's look. It, these are portraits of of President Trump's. <laughs> Cabinet administration yeah. and cabinet members. And, and it's hard to describe this obviously in a in an audio format, but Patrick is a fantastic illustrator. So so these are actually really beautifully drawn. Like I could see And animated. And animated. So I could see like the, these are so well done. I, I you know, like I could imagine buying like a series of these and hanging them on a 100%. hanging them on a wall somewhere. Well, well, well. You well, have a talent you have a talent, sir, of of cutting to the core of whatever you are actually like in a very sort of I don't want to call it minimal because I don't think that's what it is, but especially in the shitty cabinet thing. I was able to identify like you you were so you you so easily portray what makes this an uncomfortable person <laughs> so magnificently. It's really all them. It's, they make, they make <laughs> They're just terrible, ugly people. So everyone check that out. Shahir, when you're not marveling at the work of Patrick Hosmer with me, where can folks find you? You can find me digging through Patrick's trash to see if I can find something I could hang up on my wall at <laughs> Trash Island, a.k.a. ShahirDowd.com, S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D.com, which has links to my Instagram, Twitter, and all that good stuff. Uh, Matt, how about yourself? When you are in marveling at the fact that you've just done a big 18-hour marathon of Marvel. When was it? 18, 31? I don't know. 31. It's uh, coming up soon. What can people... Where can... I don't even know. I'm, I'm, I'm dumbfounded just even thinking about you watching these things. When I'm not re-watching the entire MCU, you can find me at MatthewKroll.com. That's M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com for my life and works. Also, Skeletor, the number four P-R-E-Z on Instagram. Just put up a sick Widowmaker play on Overwatch on there. And uh, Emperor MSK on Twitter. Uh, yes, and Shahir, thank you for shouting that out. Me and Shalia Evans of Girl Code Fame will be releasing three parts leading up to the Road to Infinity War. We're doing a podcast on Phase 1, Phase 2, and Phase 3. Shahir, Phase 1 drops this Wednesday. Okay. It's two hours long. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's I Shalia brings so much, like, just stuff I'd never, like, think of to I'm the table. so excited to hear it's that. It's so fun to talk with her about it, and we're having a really good time doing it. And Shahir, your question, which I'm not going to spoil, uh, was a great backbone for the discussions about, uh, you know, trying That's to trying to take these a little bit further. I, I bring the backbone. You That's bring the backbone. You went full backbone. I'm like the chicken wing of the of this podcast somewhere. <laughs> You know? Those are wing bones. <laughs> I'm confused. Patrick, thank you again. Thank you. And uh, we will see you all next week. Bye-bye. Later. Bye.